Welcome to Laughing Your Mask Off, the podcast where we talk to comedians about navigating the world of comedy since the pandemic. I'm Katherine Cowan. I'm Carly Palestina. And today we are talking to the wild and perfect Liz Glazer. Oh, thank you. Oh my God, those adjectives. So <laughs> wild. Do people know that you ask for the adjectives? Is that a thing that people talk about? Now it is. (laughs) Okay, we're going to talk about it. No, because we went through like a lot of drafts quickly. I think it was a flowy conversation, but then it was like, I gave you, you know, you told me about somebody did this and that. And then I was like, oh, you could do ad adverb adjective. Very funny was the example. And then I gave you adverb adjective, but of course that's a bit awkward. So then we went to lovely and wonderful. And then we talked about, you know, maybe we're going to do that. And I was like, oh, when I host, I say lovely and amazing. Then I thought, oh, maybe I should do lovely and amazing, which then made me think nervous and psychotic, you know, and then you're like, oh, should I say that? And I was like, well, you could, you know, I'm not going to say what to say. And then you, in response to our conversation about the many adjectives and one adverb and also the noun adverb, because adverb and adjective are nouns, the words themselves, you were like, wild. And I was like, yes, use that. Because one time I was hosting a show and we had an empath as a guest, a guy who bills himself out as an empath for hire or something like that. Anyway, he told me to embrace my wild. And this one friend of mine, who's another comedian, was also there. And so he often tells me, how are you embracing your wild? And then you, you, Carly said, perfect. And I was like, do that wild and perfect. So now we've come to the explanation that didn't need explanation because everybody probably was like, what? (laughs) And now you understand the answer to the question that you didn't even know you were asking. And now you definitely regret asking or not asking as the case may be. Hi, I am Liz Glazer. (laughs) I mean, if that's what you think is perfect, fine. Wild, I don't even know, but any of the other adjectives or adverbs or nouns will do. That's incredible. And I definitely don't regret asking in any capacity. I do have another, a follow-up question though. What's yeah. worth as an empath for hire? <laughs> um, what is that? Yeah. I mean, I was living in LA, you know, people do a lot of stuff. Um, but it was a, it was like a person who you know, he'd been like a commentator on shows and stuff like that as an empath. He was great. And he like read a bunch of the comics and, and he actually told me, I mean, he was definitely right. He was like, you have a lot of anger, but it was at a time when I was trying to like, not really display that. Now I feel like I, I'm more comfortable with like speaking with kind of a, I don't know, a rage filled tone about like, things that aren't that anger inducing even to me you know but then I like I rant a lot as a person uh but but anyway I was sort of like trying to conceal that I think then more and so I was like ugh, this guy said I'm angry but really I was but anyway he also said embrace your wild so I've been trying to do that I don't know and and you have you embraced your wild since then I mean um I definitely am more aware of trying to, but it's also like, I don't really know what it means. Like, okay, wild is the opposite of tame. Tame is like domesticated. 
I mean, I guess one definition of domesticated is like staying in the house or staying in the country. I've done a lot of both staying ins, you know, pandemic, right? But like, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I'm not sure. Man, I don't that's too bad. I guess. Yeah. I hope you've been embracing your wild. I really Me too. I, I mean, really do you, do you feel, does that like resonate for you? Do you think you do that? I think I do the opposite. Okay. Like I'm never wild. Oh. I, I think I embrace my tame a lot. Really? Yeah, probably. Like how? Like I, I don't feel like I go out of my way to do anything that's like, I don't know. I guess it would change. Like, like what's your definition of wild though? You know, like I like, right. that's why I was that's... offering, you know, yeah. the anthems, cause that's yeah, 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 a yeah. I, I see, I see how it's a little yeah. confusing. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, you think wild animal or something like that. Like, and, and I don't know. I mean, you know, I've been going on walks more. Yeah. Is that it? I, I doubt it. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I'm sober. So like, I, you know, there's a lot of, my life is pretty, I don't know, I guess like sort of regimented um, in a way, but it feels pretty fun. So I'm, I'm really not sure to be honest. Yeah. Like I do fun things and I'm yeah. like, oh, this is fun, but I'm not like right. getting lost in the middle of the city at two in the morning on a Tuesday, which I think yeah. is like, would be untamed. Like I like going home yeah. at like 10 PM, you know? Yeah, I know. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've sorted that out, um, how did you get started in comedy and what's your background? Sure. Uh, My background is that I was a tenured law professor, um, which uh, is, you know, generally how people get into comedy. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, like I, I know everybody's heard, you know, everybody has this story, but like you go to law school for three years, you practice for two, you teach for nine, and that's when you give it all up and do stand-up comedy. That is my story. And people are like, why did you go to law school? And I'm like, I'm setting up a joke I'm going to tell in approximately 14 years. Okay. I'm a planner, but like, anyway, I mean, it's, um, yeah, that's literally the background, like told in joke form, but it's, you know, the facts line up. And then the longer, story of it is I was teaching for seven years. I had just gotten tenure. I had achieved the thing that I thought I was going for. You know, I'm 42. This at this time that I'm telling this stuff, I had just gotten tenure at 33. I started teaching when I was 27. And so, you know, I was always really young in teaching, like for a tenure track job, whatever. Um, and, And I got tenure, 33 years old. And, you know, I was like, okay, great. I guess I proved that I'm like smart enough or something to like deserve air and life. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of like my background was very achievement oriented and you got to like earn this right to, I don't know, think I'm not stupid basically. And then, um, you know, then I did it. And it's not like I didn't enjoy teaching or any of the stuff that comes with it, writing and stuff like that. But it was the kind of thing where I climbed this mountain and I'm like, what did I do this for? You know, a little bit. And then I took an improv class to have, you know, some just do something fun because everything in my life at that time was very much on this track about like getting tenure and like achieving this one goal. And so I did the the improv class to not do something connected to a goal. And of course the irony is that that then became, 
you know, everything connected to all of my goals. But I didn't know that that at the time I had a big crush on the teacher. She nothing ever happened. I mean, we're friends, whatever. But she was like, like we were talking one day. And she was just like, have you ever thought of doing stand up? And I was like, no, because I've been teaching at that point for seven years. And then she's like, oh, OK, well, would you want to try it like on my show? And I, I honestly, I mean, if, uh, all I had to I was just like, are you going to be there? You know, because that's all I cared about. And then she's like, yeah. And I was like, OK, great. And I mean, honestly, you know, the first time I ever did stand up comedy, I felt like I was having a professional orgasm, which was basically a regular orgasm, but I was 100% sure that I was having it, okay? And so on that <laughs> basis, that's why I left. And it would be, a, you know, like a year and a half, there was some crossover time and whatever. But really, the day after was when I called my mother and I was like, if this is a job, I want this to be my job. Uh, and of course, I was completely delusional about how well it went, how good I was. Like, I thought I was amazing. I thought the night prior I had like sold out Madison Square Garden and everybody loved it. I, I, I didn't do that. But it was enough delusional confidence at the beginning, which a lot of people talk about, you know, that you kind of need as an artist to believe that you're great so that you have the confidence to be like, no, I gotta, I gotta give all this up. You know, even though it's nuts, right? But um, I mean, maybe that's wild, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think that that's, is wild. That's definitely yeah, a little psycho. Law job, yeah. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Look at you, Liz. Were you in New York at the time, or you know, I was living in New York full time. Like that was where I worked as a as a law professor. But the thing in academia, and maybe you know this, just I don't know. Some people sometimes know it, but it's like as a professor of all kinds, people visit. That's like a thing that professors do. And maybe that is familiar from one place or another. But like I at the time was in Chicago because I was visiting at another law school for the semester. And, and so that's why I took improv because I was like, oh, well, I want to do something Chicago-y. And I actually, yeah. I knew, I went to law school in Chicago. It's not like I was unfamiliar with Chicago. I've spent like over the years, quite a bit of time there. And I do love it. But, um, you know, that was kind of the thing. I was out of my zone uh, where I normally was. And so I was there for the semester, literally. But then after that semester ended, I went back to New York. And so, you know, I literally started in Chicago, but kind of like how people are born because in another country, because their parents were like on vacation, you know, or something. It's like, whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. Sweet. So we're... Just, I, I feel like the answer to this is obvious, but it may not be. Was it like terrifying to quit your job or were you like, oh, you know what? Perfect. Even it's, if- it's, no. Carly, it's a really great question because it's totally both, you know? It was simultaneously like the most sort of obvious, like, yeah, duh, of course I'm gonna do this type of moment. And I was like, wait, what did I just do? Because um, it did happen in a single conversation, ultimately. I mean, that's the thing with big moments and big decisions is like, I was thinking about it for a long time, which I think helped because it sort of primed my brain for it or whatever, such that when the opportunity presented itself, 
it was so in front of me where it was basically like the Dean being like, here's this way that you could retire. And it wasn't to just me. It was like happened that like, you know, the school was having a budget moment and all of the tenured faculty were going to get buyout packages as a choice. And I had just gotten tenure. And so I was, and also had just started stand up. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take one. Um, and so it wasn't like immediately, like, it wasn't like, okay, I make that choice and then I'm done with work tomorrow. It was like, I made that choice February of 2014, effective June of 2015. And I, I think that that's, an, I mean, I think that's like, it's something I don't talk about, not for any reason, like I don't want to talk about it, but I think it's such an important thing because especially when you read stuff like self-help about like taking the leap and all that, not to say no to that, but like, I feel like a lot of people talk to me about taking big jumps because that's something that I did. Right. But I, as much as I can, and, and I feel like I've talked about this less like on the record, uh, more in one-on-one in -on -one conversations is I'm like, yeah, but I knew for at least a year before I announced retirement. And then a year and a half, I sat with the knowledge while in a comfortable position that I would be getting out of a comfortable position. And also the terms of the buyout package meant that for two years, two academic years after even that year and a half, which was even after the first year, I also was getting paid as though I was still in my old job, but I wasn't in my old job. And so I just offer that. I mean, number one, it screams of all the privilege in the world, which I'll own up to. I mean, it just is, right? But the other thing is that, and it wasn't, I mean, you don't make that much money, but it's not nothing, you know? And it's not not just not nothing. Like, it's pretty good. But um, the other thing is, that when people take these big leaps career-wise, I think sometimes it's like frowned upon, it seems like in the self-help literature or people who do this stuff to, to have some safety. And I think that that's weird because I did such a crazy, I don't like to, I, I mean, I use the word and now I'm conscious of it because it's ableist. I don't mean it that way. I just, wild, we could use nuts, bananas, whatever, but all of it, we could attribute to that moment, right? I did something that a lot of people would not do, which is why, the reason for your question, Carly. But also, I really did it in a pretty safe way, all things considered. In your in your package, when you like could you had got paid for two years, if you were like just kidding, could you have gone back, or was it like definitely? I mean, because of the relationships that I had at school, probably. Okay. Um, but there was a, you know, like we had that conversation February of 2014. I think I signed a document like not too long after that, but like the person I was on the phone with was somebody I had worked with for seven years. And so it wasn't like, hello, person I just met. I'm like signing up for a survey. You know what I mean? It was yeah. more like, I know him and, um, you know, so if I said like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, this and this, and I have to go back on it, I think it probably would have been okay. Who knows, I guess. But yeah, I think so. I knew these people. Yeah. 
well glad that it you didn't go back and you're still yeah you're <laughs> still here in comedy yeah um, yeah yeah, we're we're very happy that you're not a law professor. Right Thank, you. Thank you. Because <laughs> then you want to be on the podcast. <laughs> we don't you have a no law, law professor's policy. I've heard no law professors. <laughs> no science professors. No professors right. overall. It's too right. triggered from college. Yeah. Um, we have another question for you. Yeah. Um, if a polar bear and a great white shark battled in outer space, who would win? But I've never met them. Like, um, I mean, okay, the shark needs water. Are we assuming water is in space? Well, polar bears need like oxygen, so I think they're both. In oh, the they're equal. Okay, I'm just a mat. It's funny because yeah, obviously, but then I'm like, right, but a polar bear could just be in a spaceship, <laughs> like like us in space. Whereas it's like, yeah, but they're still a polar bear. Um, I mean, I just feel so ill-equipped. I feel like you actually need some sort of science professor on here. I'll go with shark because shark scares me more, but I don't know that that's a relevant criterion for the answer, in fact, to this question. Honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll sit with that. Catherine, do you, do you have an answer? Do I have a... Um, I think, I think I, I go with Liz's answer of shark (laughs) largely because like a polar bear, like sharks have really, really big teeth. So, and a big mouth, right. So if they're even just like squirming, they're still, it's a great white shark specifically. Right. Yeah. 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 So they're so much bigger than a polar bear. Right. And so, and their like teeth are probably like their jaw opening, whatever you call that yeah fit like the whole polar bear and on top of that they probably have a lot more adrenaline than the polar bear because they're like where's my water whereas like and they can't swim you know like a literal fish out of water a literal fish out of water because they swim and breathe in water whereas a polar bear doesn't like you can walk on the moon right that's so true like air no like like (laughs) humans (laughs) Uh-huh. land creatures <laughs> can walk on the yeah. moon um so i think the polar bear might be a little less anxious sure that checks out yeah what do you think, carly i i also think the shark would win but that's also because in my head a shark's just so much bigger than a polar bear and i don't know i feel like i hear so much about like dangerous sharks and what sharks could do we should get divya on from last episode divya had a whole spiel about how she loves oh, the i shark. love divya we you love divya too love yeah. <laughs> i um, also just imagine like how much of this if we're really being honest is pr it's shark <laughs> pr because if the polar bears who are listening to this podcast which hello <laughs> a huge part of my target fan base. So I I am trying with them, but I think like, they're probably like, they don't even know, you know, like, have they even met me? You know what I mean? You think I couldn't take, and then fair enough, right? And maybe if they're listening, I mean, because I'm the kind of person, I don't know what kind of bears they are, right? Where it's like, if somebody tells me you can't do this, then I, I will do it. You know, I mean, I'm not saying for sure, but history has shown a few times, at least I have done that. And so I'm just thinking like a, the bear listening is like, get me in space. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll prove myself to these right. people on the right. podcast. And I, I, I respect that. I, I mean, I just, I hope they're both safe, honestly. And to the extent that there is a bear listening, I would really hate to like spur violence, especially in space. I mean, space is so untouched. It's like pure, right? Or, or at least we think, what if it's like even worse than here? But anyway, so I, I just would hate to promote any of that. And so again, if there are sharks listening or if there are bears listening of any kind, I just would hope that you're safe, that you're enjoying the podcast, um, that you go to www.dearlizglazer.com. You know, feel free to message me. Um, I would do a show in space, um, probably. You know what I mean? If the price was right. Uh, Sorry to be so crass about that. Um, But anyway, just wanted to put that out there. And you can follow me on Instagram, at Liz Glazer. Um, And I don't have animal videos. I mean, every now and then my cat, um, but I don't think that there'd be anything offensive there for a shark or a bear. I don't think so. I really appreciate your, your PSA for the shark oh. and the bear. Yeah. 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 I mean it. Yeah. All right. Well, we have sharks and bears listening. You know yeah. what to do. Message yeah. Glazer. Yeah. From her website. yeah. Come to a show. Show your support. Yeah. Yeah, I hear they travel in packs, so that would be nice. That would be honestly, that'd be kind of ideal for a bringer. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. And you can also probably throw everyone else off their game. Right, right. So it's like, oh, she brought literal bears. <laughs> I mean, they'd be like, like gay guys. No, 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 bears. Like, yeah. like polar and grizzly. One shark, but they met in a fight and you know called a truce or whatever. It was fine. It wasn't scary. She was scary on stage, but like the shark was fine. The shark. <laughs> she was wild. They were tame. <laughs> it was full circle. Um, anyway, so uh, what was your life like in comedy before the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. No, I, I mean, you know, honestly, uh, and, and even though you asked just now about before the pandemic, I'm just going to kind of flow, if that's okay, in an answer that contrasts both. So <laughs> I I happen to have a pretty, like in terms of career, like a pretty successful pandemic, okay? That was when I won first place in two comedy festivals, the Boston Comedy Festival and the Ladies of Laughter Comedy Festival, both of which have generated opportunities. Thank you so much, Carly. Generated opportunities post-pandemic in real life and it's honestly like really, it's great. Okay. Just no two ways about it. It's been great. I was interviewed for the wall street journal in the middle of the pandemic, you know, like over the phone, never met the person. I don't know. Maybe that's normal. If you were interviewed anyway, like we, we talked for a lot of hours, but like it was all safe and at home. And, and it's interesting because all these things happen from like this seat, You know, I mean, maybe when I talked to the journalist, I was like in the car for some of it, but like, you know, basically just right here. And like, I was sitting right here when I did both of those comedy festivals, literally into my computer, yelling into my laptop. And so um, that, like, that's been my life during the pandemic, obviously. And then, you know, I spoke, I guess, somewhat vaguely, but like, I'm out every night, you know, like I'm the one in the mask because I'm absolutely neurotic. Um, and I put the condom on the mic and I'm out 
you know, I, I, whatever, I'm very, very like careful. Um, but, uh, but like, I would say zoom taught me it's, it's like people talk a lot about improvement in comedy, like on podcasts and stuff like that. Right. And I, I'm always interested in those types of stories and it's like, okay, so what do you hear? You hear, listen back to your sets, see what worked, say it the right way, you know, economy of words, blah, blah, all that's true. And then the thing that was frustrating to me, not that I did all that stuff, I listened to it and like did it sometimes. So maybe I could have done more, accelerated my progress, whatever it was. But what was annoying to me was really what I was trying for is to be the most like expressed, free, wild version of myself that I sometimes get to in life on stage. And some of that was just like, I was a hair off in my timing before. And people talk a lot about Zoom and the timing and how, oh, it's a lag. I honestly have never experienced that. I happen to be blessed with very good internet. I'm gonna say that and then get kicked off. Now it's actually our building switched. It's not great, but we're going back. It's fine, we're moving. But anyway, like for <laughs> most of it, for most of the pandemic, I have had very good internet. And so I haven't felt a Zoom lag, really. You know what I mean? Like for contests, I got an ethernet hookup and all that, you know. But anyway, I say that because sometimes people are like, oh, Zoom is weird, there's a lag. And I'm like, really? I'm on it all the time. And I'm pretty sure that you're wrong. Like, or maybe <laughs> your internet's not right or something. I'm not saying never, but it's like, yeah, sometimes people freeze. But like, for the most part, if I'm saying something and somebody's nodding or somebody's laughing, I'm like, it seems to line up pretty good. You know, it's kind of like the phone. And maybe there is a slight, like, I honestly have no idea, but whatever it is, that practice, this practice has I was afraid at first it was going to not translate to in-person. And of course, like, you know, it takes a second, like after literally my two weeks post-vaccination in April, you know, yeah, it took me a second to like get comfortable not talking to a computer. You know what I mean? Like anybody, I guess, but like, like really it, for the most part, Baruch Hashem, you know, thank God it, it, it's, it's translated pretty okay. And I think that, getting the timing on that, that little bit of a hair that tweak did it for me where I just was able, it was almost like, because I could fix that, I was able to take stuff that hadn't worked and be like, oh, well now it's doing it like this. Right. And it almost like everything in my life went through this other filter. And I, had all this new stuff and I was doing hours on zoom, you know, um, because of, I, you know, winning the festivals and, and also because people were inside. I mean, I'm not the only one, you know, who was just like looking for entertainment. And so I did, um, you know, our shows, like a lot of like corporate and academic situations, but also, you know, longer comedy stuff that whatever, but anyway, um, so, so before the pandemic, to answer what you actually asked, I would say I was, I was doing it all the time, just like now. And I was frustrated 
even though I try to maintain a positive attitude, I generally try to, you know, practice gratitude. I journal every day. I meditate. I do all the stuff, you know, but if I'm being honest and I was then too, you know, I was getting rejected from everything. I mean, I got rejected from the Boston comedy festival in 2019 and won the comedy festival in 2020. Okay. So just, and I say that because for all of any kind of success that I've had in entertainment, I have failed and lost so much. And it's like, and I have the journal pages to back it up. You know what I mean? And I like to be open about that because if, if there's someone listening, who's like, like I would get rejected from things that I'm like, a, I can't even pronounce this. Like <laughs> such a terrible name for your festival. I don't even remember applying and now you're rejecting it. And it's just like, I would then journal, like got rejected from another one. And it was so frequent. So I just want to say that because, you know, I really was feeling it. I mean, at some point I'm like, I guess I'm just addicted to rejection. And that's the reason that I sign up for these festivals. That has to be it. And now it's changed because, you know, I mean, I think substantively, I mean, one thing is like, okay, you win one and then a lot of stuff opens up. I think that's true. But I do think that there's like substance underneath it, which is, I think I got better because I think I was attuned to my timing more for one reason or another. I also think that the pandemic, I wasn't seeking out Zoom stuff. You know, I like, I was a nut before with like messaging for shows. I got to make sure I'm doing stand up all the time and all that. I was so into it. And not, I'm, I am now too, but it's like, I didn't in the pandemic, the, everything shut down. I'm like, you think I'm going to like message somebody so I can yell into my computer on their zoom? No, <laughs> I'll just be home. And if somebody asks me to do zoom, okay, fine. I'll sign up. I, you know, I'll go on zoom. Um, but, uh, but, and I say zoom, you know, that's a joke I have. So sometimes like, <laughs> like you were on a podcast, you were saying zoom and it's zoom. And I'm like, okay, so I do have a zoom joke, but anyway, um, but, but so, so I'll do it. I'll do it. But I wasn't like going to go out of my way to like do it. Cause I'm like, I could FaceTime my mother. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and I think in a way that like kind of easing up a little bit on like the kind of, I don't know what to, what adjective to use about the aggressive pursuit of filling my calendar. I guess that's accurate. Um, that stopped. And then my calendar did fill, but it was more natural. And I think honestly, that's an apt description of maybe even the substance of the comedy that I think I was trying so hard. So I first, first started, I had no idea what I was doing. And I know everybody says that, but I really didn't. I didn't even mean to do it. I was a professor, you know? And so then I did stuff on stage and it was funny because I didn't know I wasn't trying. And then of course, you know, then I start trying and it sucks for years, right? Because I was trying and trying isn't funny. Working at it is respectable, but it's not, trying isn't funny. And then I think the pandemic, I was like, I'm not trying. What am I gonna try <laughs> my laptop? What is that, you know? And I think the reality of that really got me in a good place. That's awesome. I also like so appreciate your like trying and failing and getting rejected and stuff. Cause I feel like it's such a thing in comedy and probably yes. any like performing art industry, yeah. but like 
it's just and like like you have a lot more losses than wins and like well, the wins feel really good but like there's yeah. so much of like why am I doing yeah. this like I feel like I'm in an endless loop of rejection so well, I and like I really to anyone. yeah I yeah I I appreciate your saying that Catherine because it makes me feel less alone frankly but also like I just remember you know because I I do journal every day um which I think is I mean, I'm not, you know, here to give advice or whatever. Although I do, I do think that you said you may have a segment for that, but like, if I would give a creative any advice, it would be, I guess anybody, because I think we're all creative, but like really, if you're pursuing something creative, um, journal, because you'll find yourself in there. I'm not, you know, I mean, Julia Cameron in the artist way said whatever, like at some point you will have a spiritual awakening is the way that Julia Cameron puts it in the artist way. And whether you call it that or not, it's just like at some point you'll get real with yourself if you show up and you write about what's happening to your life every day. I think that's what's happened to me. You know, I mean, it's still a process. I, I go to it every day. But I, I say that because, you know, it's like it's allowed me to be conscious of the process. And I remember during all those rejections, you know, and that was like, you know, let's say 2017 to 19, really. Uh, not that I wouldn't, I, I would have been getting rejected before that, but I just wasn't applying. That's why I started applying and getting rejected, actively getting rejected. But I remember I was like, ooh, I hope that this part of the story, mine, is like the middle and that there's some kind of redemption. Because the thing is, if it's just this, that sucks. It's a terrible <laughs> story. You know what I mean? And I, I would write that. And I was openly anxious about it. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, thankfully, something happened after that allowed me to see, see some sort of redemption. I don't know if it on that basis is a rule that anybody else who does the same would similarly see some kind of redemption, but I really was worried. So I offer that as like just my story of it. You know, I mean, I can find you the pages where I literally write that. I use 750words.com, which I don't work for, but I should, I feel like they should, <laughs> but no, because the thing I like about it, it's not to the letter of the law per the artist's way, because Julia Cameron, the author of the artist's way says you got to write, your morning pages longhand. I don't do that. Um, I talk fast. I it's too I, whatever. I'm making excuses, but I don't do it. But the reason that I like 750words.com is that you can search your old journal entries mm. in their database, and it's so seamless because of that. And I'm like, yeah, I want to know when I said rejection, and then it'll give you. You've said rejection on 281 days. And then you could literally go back and go through each of the days. So it's pretty amazing. That sounds both incredible and also like slightly sadistic, like rejection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, like I do it for more, yes, less sadistic and more practical reasons too. Carly, I think that's a very fair point. Um, <laughs> but like like I was doing, I do this sukkah show. You know what a sukkah is? Like it's Sukkot, whatever. It's it's like the huts. They look like where you eat now with coronavirus. But but, or, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, uh, and I, that, I don't think that's my joke. But anyway, so, so <laughs> it's not anyone specifics. Like I don't mean it that way, but I, I just don't think I thought of it. Anyway, 
but um, so I do a sukkah show. I've done it for many years in a row. And as I was planning what to do at the show it was last weekend, I was like, oh, let me like I, I was asking my wife, I was like, did I say this joke or this story at the sukkah show? And she's like, I'm not sure. But then I was able to look up sukkah show, you know, and go back and like maybe I usually I will. I don't like write my set list, but like I might be like, oh, I told this story and this, you know, whatever. So I was able to get a sense. You know what I mean? So, so it, it yeah. comes in handy for less like spirally moments as well. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So, it's um, really good. So if you were a board game, which one would you be? Oh, good. I mean, guess who, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> truly every single day waking up, uh, just what is my identity today? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's sort of like a hacky joke answer, but it was the first thing that came to my mind monopoly because I want to rule the world. Um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, that's a good one. Um, do you know the game? <laughs> sorry. That's an actual board game. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm 42 and you're not. So that's the reason that I asked. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry. That's that's probably the best joke answer. Any of them is a joke answer. What you about you? Serious answer? Oh, if I was a board game? No, <laughs> I don't have a serious answer to if I was a board game. <laughs> <laughs> joke answers only. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if you had to give a serious answer, you'd have to say something like chess, you know, like a serious game. Yeah. So people, I, mean, I don't know, maybe people take like Candyland seriously. I don't know, but. Right. You know? Yeah. Honestly, yeah. board games, I never, I never quite had the, I guess, patience, wherewithal. Those are words that come to mind about things I do not possess for <laughs> board game purposes I mean at some point I'm like I think I'm just playing this wrong like yeah. it's taking all day and I have no idea what I'm doing can we just call it I always wanted to just talk that's it oh there was a game girl talk I don't know if you know that game I think do you know it it was like a thing when I was like uh 12 and and it had really good PR right unlike the bears uh, and, and or, or I guess the sharks. I mean, sharks, if you want to be scary. But anyway, um, then they're good PR. But but uh, they, it was girl talk and it, it sucked as a game. It was basically just like, you know, prompts about dares and stuff. And you didn't need it. But this commercial, I mean, it's amazing. Like, I find commercial acting to be very interesting because uh, I took like a class about it. It's this guy, Killian. He does a workshop in L.A. It's great. Um, but also it's like, I, I do audition for commercials a lot. Um, I've never booked one. I would love to, I've gotten like called back. I don't know why I'm telling any of this, but it doesn't matter. Um, but I, I enjoy commercials because I think I naturally advertise stuff that I like, you know, and so <laughs> it's exciting for me, you know, to potentially have that as like a thing I could do. And I do hope to do it. Um, you know, assuming the fit is right and all that. But I say this because I find it fascinating when something is advertised because it's like, I want the feeling, right? That's the thing. It's like when you watch a commercial, they're selling a feeling. They're not selling a product. And this game Girl Talk, it was the prettiest colors, the funnest sleepover on the commercial. I'm sure you could find it on YouTube. And then they even had 
a, a, like an extended product, which was Girl Talk Dateline, which had like a fake phone. And it was basically like, you know how like when you would do, maybe you didn't do this, but like sleepover parties and you call boys from the grade, right? From school. Did you ever do that? Or you- girl school. Okay, got it. <laughs> I'm the lesbian and I'm like, remember when we called boys? Um, <laughs> but that was like what we did. I grew up, you know, I was a kid in like the eighties and nineties and we didn't have the internet and stuff like that. So we would like get together at a sleepover and it's like, get the phone list from school. And it's like, call up Jeremy, right? And it's like, we're not gonna talk. Everybody's gonna be silent, but it's like 12 of us in the room. And it's like, then, you know, Kiki screams from the back, like, Shira likes you, click. And like that, <laughs> you know? And so that was fun and you didn't need a game to orchestrate all that. But then they sold the game and I think it did really well because of the, the how good the commercial was. But you take out the game and it sucked. It's like, we could just do this, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Like, I just wanted to talk, always. I love talking. Yeah, love that. I'm rolling my eyes for those who can't. You could probably hear it. You could probably hear that roll my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that that is Liz Blazer's take on board games, audience. Yeah. Um, so we're we are coming towards the end of our podcast now. Right. Um, as we close out, is there any advice you would give other comedians, or alternatively, what is the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh. Um, I mean, the advice I think I love the journaling, and I think that you know. Like when Gary Goldman did his 365 tips, you know that, like he did a tweet every day for, I believe it was 2019 or maybe 2018. I don't remember, but he did it. And you could find, like, if you look up Gary Goldman's tweets, it's whatever. He did like a tip a day. And those were so great. I mean, you know, I... I don't know exactly like the best advice. Like usually for me, the best advice is like take, find ways to take pressure off. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Like if there's anything I've learned from my pandemic success to what, you know, whatever extent we want to make of that is I, I got the farthest in my career when I was really like, not trying the least in terms of the material. I actually was like, if I did a show, I would listen back and I would plan and, you know, I did the work of it, but I didn't spend much time like being anxious about my calendar and worrying if I was like progressing fast enough and all these things that like, it's helpful to say out loud because it's really easy for me to get back in those patterns, frankly. And like the more that I stay out of that, and the more that I'm just focused on like, what do I want to say? Then the better. Um, and I, I'm filming uh, and taping, please God. But I have like a plan for that uh, in early December, perhaps late November, early December. Um, I think we're going to do it at Union Hall in Brooklyn. Uh, I hope you'll be there. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, and it'll be, you know, a filmed special which is like wild and exciting. And like, I don't even have to orchestrate it. Like somebody came to me to do, it's so unbelievable to me. 
Like I never just, I never imagined that that would happen for me. Um, I mean, I guess that's not exactly true. Like I, I, I had this kind of tension between imagining that I was like already on HBO, you know, <laughs> every day and that I'm like speaking to nobody in a void, right? It's both, but, but truly like the reality of having that um, be a thing is very, very exciting. And so there will be more details about that on my website, dearlizglazer.com, D-E-A-R-L-I-Z-G-L-A-Z-E-R.com, dearlizglazer.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at lizglazer, L-I-Z-G-L-A-Z-E-R, TikTok also at lizglazer, Twitter, as it turns out, at Elizabeth Glazer, uh, because I like to use my full name on Twitter because I always feel like I'm in trouble there. And Facebook, Liz Glazer. So that's how to find me. That's, I think, uh, all I have to say. Thank you so much, Carly and Catherine. This was so, so delightful. Thank, really Thank you for listening to Laughing Your Mask Off. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a good review. And if you've loved what you've heard so far, come to our first live show featuring guests from the podcast, Wednesday, October 6th, 8 p.m. at the Duplex in New York City. See you there. <laughs>